0: This is the Urban Political.
1: The podcast on urban theory, research and activism.
2: So I'm very happy that we managed to get you around the virtual table here of the Urban Political podcast. Um, we're going to talk about the sort of urban landscapes of care and control, as we call it very broadly, in three cities today, in Bogota in Colombia, in Berlin, in Germany, and in Santiago de Chile, in in Chile, with (laughs) Maggio, we practiced my Spanish, and I still can't do it. Maggio, Jose Alvarez, Rivudella, Philippe Link, Hannah Schilling, and Nina Marcus today. So may I give you the chance, the possibility to maybe say in a few sentences um, what you think about the, the question of how the pandemic has affected state interventions in health in your city um, and what, what comes to your mind thinking about the perspective from your city in terms of the care arrangements or different arrangements of care that have been developed in neighborhoods in Bogota, Majo, as I know that that is one of the things that, that you've been working on.
1: Yeah, um, I'm very pleased to be here and to learn from your cities and participate in the podcast. Um, I'm going to talk about health, but in a broad sense. And I like the name of the, of the call of this podcast, the control and care, um, because when I was thinking about what happened with Bogota welfare system, say, or welfare regime during the pandemic, I could think of of the left and right hands of the state. And that meaning the the care uh, hand and the police hand or repression hand. And uh, many things happen in Bogota and in the country like poverty skyrocketed, um, uh, maternity, mortality, adolescent pregnancy, um, adolescence abuse. Most of those pregnancies comes from came from rapes from family members during lockdown. Uh, so many things, terrible things happened. Uh, of course, like in many other cities, deaths are not equally distributed by social class. The poor um, died much in, 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 a, in a higher rate. Um, but to kind of put order to, to, to the interventions, I would say that there's something very interesting in terms of care and something very interesting and worrisome in terms of of repression or, yeah, in terms of repression. In terms of care, um, I think it's it's very interesting that uh, one important intervention was created during the pandemic. And those are the care blocks, which are an initiative that Uh, started before the pandemic but was implemented during the pandemic and has to do, it's a local initiative initiated by the women's secretary um, of local government and it has to do with putting in in very busy blocks in in deprived neighborhoods a a block of care with services both for those who need care and especially for the women that take care Uh, and and that's a very interesting initiative uh, that uh, gives classes while, from yoga classes to high school classes while you have your kids or your, uh, the people that you have to care for uh, there, you can take classes as a caregiver. Uh, so it's a very interesting initiative. There's other services as well. And it's expanding. I think the pandemic gave the local government the leverage to expand that initiative that at the beginning, it was only in two places. And now it's projected for about 50 uh, other places, 50 more um, care blocks, they call it. So that's, I think, very interesting. And on the other hand, the repression hand of the state. So during the pandemic and during the lockdown, there were several um, strikes and street demonstrations that were victims of great police repression. Many people died. And uh, yeah, and, 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 and this is a very repressive police. Uh, it's not new, but the discourse of repression in many ways was shaped by the lockdown uh, rhetoric. In particular, the first police killing was uh, because one, the police killed one guy that violated the lockdown, and someone filmed the police brutality. And then the man died, and he was please, I have to go out. He was in his motorbike, and the police, uh, I mean, they, they, they beat him to death. And that was filmed. So people got a lot of rage. They went out to the streets. And according to a UN uh, investigation, 11 people were killed by the police in those uh, protests against police brutality. And the major of the city recognized her guilt in that, her responsibility on that. So uh, a lot of interesting things happened both in the care side and in the more repressive or control side,
2: Felipe, and, and that 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 difference between care on the one hand and and um, control or, or or violence from the side of the state on the other hand, I think that is shouldn't be too difficult for you to jump in on that from Santiago, the Chile, right?
0: Yes. Yes. Uh, well, also thank you very much for this invitation and to participate in this podcast. Um, yes, these two two ways of the pandemic situation in general, you know, the, the care or the health con- uh, measures or control and the social control is also very strong in Santiago, and also because, uh, as we talked before, uh, in Santiago it was. Totally overlap with the social movements and social protests from October 2019. So, in and then in March of uh, the 20, uh, 2020, we have these uh, lockdowns and the whole uh, the spread of the pandemic uh, of the COVID. So, the both are very uh, overlapped, and in terms of social control. There was still the 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 feeling uh, from the riots, the social riots. So uh, we lost uh, a lot of trust in the institutional uh, structures. Not only the governments, but also the uh, I don't know the, the, the politicians, the, the the police, the the whole institutional uh, structure. Was very affected by the uh, protest, the social protest, in two thousand nineteen. So it affected to uh, to the health measures uh, that came in March of the next year. So uh, I think that was uh, a very particular point in Santiago because we have to deal with this with with these two uh, dimensions of the crisis. But then uh, I think um, in in this uh, specific uh, issue of the social control um, policies, uh, it was also a very um, individual responsibility oriented, there were uh, individual responsibility oriented policies. and, And that was, not a good thing because it was more overlapped with the social crisis. No? So the, the repression was uh, uh, oriented to particular people who don't pre- didn't respect the um, lockdowns or the other um, uh, policies or measures uh, in order to deal with the pandemic situation. So, And the people who, who can't uh, deal with these uh, restrictions were uh, they were um, called as obstinate people, <laughs> and this is very strange because it was a whole situation in the city where people have to go out to work or to take care of uh, different uh, people, and they they they, they were called uh, obstinate people. So the first step was very difficult in, in these terms because. It was still with the memories of the social protest and a lot of repression, not not very violent, but very violent in a symbolic way. The lockdown was very a very uh, hard lockdown in Santiago, a very long one and also very strict. We, we have to go home at seven o'clock, eight o'clock or something like that until the next day for weeks and months. So uh, it was a very, uh, strange things. Also, we have the memory uh, from the dictatorship and the lockdown, the the, the, the last lockdown, uh, not lockdown, so, uh, I, I mean the, the restriction of, of, uh, um, uh, of circulation and to go out in the public spaces was uh, a lot of years ago. So um, this uh, dimension of the of the pandemic situation was very hard in, in these terms. But on the other hand, uh, it seems to be a good thing. And uh, the the health measures and the vaccination process then one year ago uh, later now I don't I don't remember exactly, but I don't know six months or one year later, we started with this um, whole uh, organization Process uh, for the vaccine uh, for the vaccination. Um, the the other thing that I I think it was a particular thing from Santiago. Maybe obviously city true too, but it was a not a good thing for the whole so for the control of the whole situation. Uh, uh, in addition to this individual responsibility, was the scale or the national scale of the whole of of the whole policies. We, we didn't have um, a local or specific um, territorial uh, local uh, measures. So all the policies were, were was uh, were adopted for the central government for the whole country. And that was a bad thing because they didn't um they didn't put in value the local organizations, the local confidence, the local uh, networks of the people who can uh, take care of each other in this situation. Uh, also, the health system was very general in general. In these terms, so the municipalities also can uh, take some measures in order to to deal with this in the uh, local scale. and um, So I think it's uh, it's important this distinction between the social control uh, with more or less uh, violent processes and the health situation in particular with this. Different measures in terms of different scales and uh, the local organization of the people in the neighborhoods and in the municipalities uh, scale in some Um. terms.
2: Thank you, Felipe. So, so I think that uh, uh, both those two elements now that that where the control becomes care, where the care becomes control, um, and and that that question of scale of various skill policies being imposed on various skills or developed on various skills uh, have also been issues that that maybe Berlin um, has been has been situated from uh, has been situated in rather Hannah would you like to maybe take some time to to come in from the perspective of Berlin on what you heard and and connect it to some of your own observations? Um yeah, um of course um
3: thank you for for inviting me to participate in the podcast and it's just fascinating to listen to both of you and to bring this into perspective um to the Berlin situation I think um like uh, one one element that is probably I would say um Different to uh, to uh, to Bogota, um, and I don't know Santiago de Chile. Maybe not, but you you spoke a lot about um, control in a violent way, like uh, state control in in terms of physical violence. And I think um, in the care and control continu- continuum for the Berlin case, I would say we. More experienced um, symbolic violence or the violence of of maybe standardized uh, c- uh, categorizations and uh, top-down approach of 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 um, thinking care um, uh, through the lens of the state in terms of categories like um, um, the the family should now take care um, of of the children or. Um, and that that it's more the way we, we thought how care um, is a private um, uh, issue um, and and so in that sense I think we, we could also discuss what uh, when when you ask for example Talia, when care turns into control I think it is exactly tricky because um, for the Berlin case it's not that um, that suddenly the state uh, came out with the police force and and tried to um, enforce. Uh, new rules uh, to the population but the the form of control was much more subtle in the way they um, interfered in the everyday life of of residents i would say maybe nina you also then want to um, add your opinion on this uh, question and um, i also was struck by by your example um, um, about this collective care um, care blocks because i think that shows that that we also could discuss in what way um, care um, is uh, sort of a collective um, endeavor or a collective, um, not task, but but something that has to, to um, bundle um, um, res- uh, people and resources to maybe provide for others. And I think... Um, in Germany it was much about um the the trope of solidarity like that was the narrative that um uh, like um how to say that that kind of i mean that was the the, the major narrative to 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 push uh, or to to uh, incite people to follow um the rules so to say but it was not a solidarity that um appealed to um, certain care collectives or, or maybe blocks in the city but more it was about um, individual uh, discipline like um, to to care for oneself in a in or to care for others through disciplining yourselves by distance or by um, staying at home um, etc so i think in that sense it, it could be interesting to discuss with you how you um, experienced the um, in what form the care was um, uh, featured. I don't know if if you understand what I mean. And um, I think in terms of scale, it's also interesting that the Berlin case, um, I mean, Germany is a federal state, like has a federal uh, system. And in that sense, I think we can maybe also discuss how that differs or how in that sense um, the policies and the presence of the state was different um, in, in each of, of our cities. But I also must say that um, um, even if it was like um, decided maybe in, in different um, federal states, there were different measures and for Berlin there was a particular set of, of rules or um, policies. Um, I think from our research on, um, with residents and professionals, that really um, tried to continue their work in the neighborhoods um, with residents, it still felt that it was about, uh, like a top-down uh, policy. In, in and that, in that way, I don't know, we could discuss if the federal system changed in any ways the way residents on the local everyday, in the everyday and in their interactions with each other um, experienced that this more localized um, perspective uh, like that it, um, I mean it still was um, um, a policy that didn't um, respect uh, their, their specific local um, living con- uh, conditions.
2: I think you're making an interesting uh, uh, point there Hanna, that, that that exactly what Marshall was describing. In terms of now, how how the how it's a collective process of care in the middle of the pandemic, it it very much feels like that wasn't so much what what the Berlin case was about, and even maybe the in contrast, right? Like there was an active attempt to stop all forms of collective behavior in 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 public space everywhere. And and, and I know that you and, and and Nina, you've been working on this research project during the pandemic that looked at community workers basically right that were um, engaged with residents and and looked at how they managed to to do their work Nina maybe you want to say a few things about describe a few things very directly from that case and and then we go back to the more conceptual level maybe
4: Um, Yes, of course. Um, And thanks for having me here as well. Um, So Hannah already mentioned that we were doing this uh, this project during the pandemic, and it was basically to learn more about the experiences of of people, frontline workers, um, that were doing social work and To find out how they adapted to these new measures introduced in the context of the pandemic and also how their work routines and their work with their clients were affected by this. Um, So it was like different use and migrant organization, but also local authorities, specifically those that uh, deal with children and family related challenges. And um, we also participated in various activities in the neighborhood organizations. Um, So for example, when they did handicrafts or when they offered space to sit outside or uh, offered cups of tea. So we were taking part in these activities and talking um, to these people. And what became quite clear from this, um, and this connects um, with what you just said, Talia, the question where care becomes control, Um, Because these social workers or frontline workers in the community organizations, they felt very much um, caught in between different or two different logics on the one hand, these state logics of health prevention, all the measures that now came from this top down and they had to implement in their work. And on the other hand, these everyday logics, their routines and the way they normally organize um, their work, also their pedagogical work with with children and uh, young people, for instance. So these two different ways of doing their work and organizing their routines, they clashed and they felt in between these two, and had to adapt new roles they weren't, um, they didn't know before. So um, these tasks of explaining the new measures, of disciplining their clients, in even of controlling their clients, of wearing a mask or of having their vaccination passport, and of keeping the distance. Um, which clashed often with their role of like being there to support them, to care for them, or even to hug them when they were like in in worries or when they were crying. So these two like ways of working clashed and were very uh, they are very present in the in the way they described how their work changed during uh, the pandemic and how this also affected then the work with the clients, the relationships of trust they can build or which then did not exist any longer. Um, so it really had, like, a concrete um, impact on
2: their work. So so I've heard the, the word trust in both uh, your explanation, Nina, of, of those mechanisms of everyday routines on the one hand and, and the institutional processes on the other. Marjo, would you say that you, if you thought about what you've seen in the pandemic through the lens of trust, would you say that that community or care... Care blocks that you've been describing is that has that generated a new sense of I'm being carefully saying not saying trust but but because I think I heard in Philippa's words that there is a bit of a crisis of trust due to the way that the control has been implemented maybe a crisis is not my word um, and and I and I can hear in Nina's and Hannah's case, because I, I know it quite well, obviously, that, that because I'm from Berlin, Berlin myself, that this is a thing that we, that there, there's a lot of talk about this. Does that play any role in Bogota? How is, how is trust seen in the context of the pandemic?
1: Well, I think it's, it's a complicated question because it's trust about whom, no? And uh, definitely institutional trust decreased, especially with the police. Uh, I mean, the the police is going under reform. Um, I heard what Felipe said about the memories of the dictatorship. Uh, Colombia didn't have a dictatorship, unlike many other countries in Latin America, but had a war. So this is a police prepared for war. And now uh, with powers to put people inside their houses in a country that has 50% informality, so people cannot stay in their homes. And, and the police is repressing them for care, for doing what they have to do, which is care for their survival. Uh, so in many ways, institutional trust decreases, especially with the police. Then, of course, these innovations are very important, but their impact which I, I haven't I haven't measured the impact yet. I would really like to do a project evaluating how this is working. Uh, it's very interesting, but I don't. Many things happen because at the same times that you get this um, care uh, blocks implemented, you have an increase in poverty an increase in informality. So it's many forces are are uh, eroding the trust with the state. I did do an evaluation of another interesting policy, which was a cash transfer, an unconditional cash transfer to compensate for the regressiveness of the, of of a, of a tax, of the consumption task to poor families. And people really didn't know why they were receiving that. They, they, they didn't have an idea that they were receiving it because they were pay, overpaying for the consumption task, but they thought that the government was giving them that because of the pandemic. Um, so uh, you have a lot of interventions uh, getting into homes, but they are all um, insufficient to satisfy the needs for people. Uh, Maybe, and I was thinking about what Nina and Hannah were saying, is that the level, I mean, the, the point of departure is very important here. So, of course, in Colombia, you have much more room to innovate in terms of policies and do things that have a real impact but at the same time, there's 44, 50 million people here, immigration from Venezuela coming. And I didn't speak about that in the first, but that's also an urban challenge coming to, to the cities. Uh, so it's very difficult to do things that have an impact in an economy that's in recession. Um, in, I mean, in terms, of, in terms of what you can do from the state, the state spending, government spending is still very low. Uh, yet I do think it would be very interesting to measure this or, or observe it or the specific or follow this specific impact of the blocks of care, because that has to have an impact, has an impact on the, you see it uh, in the life of, of these women that go there. Um, So uh, yeah, I would love to, to follow up on that intervention, but don't have clear answers right now about the impact.
2: So, so that, that, that seems to address both the sort of interpersonal trust of people working out trust relationships of, of caring relationships on, on their everyday levels or in their everyday logics, as well as the, the sort of institutional trust that I think you, you addressed very well. Philip, uh, Philippe, in your earlier comment, I think you were talking more about the institutional trust, right? the sort of trust in in the police, trust in the state. Um, I know you've been doing a lot of work during the pandemic. I mean, we've all been doing all sorts of work during the pandemic, but um, from the research that that you've been doing in that time, is that something you've been looking at?
0: I think... Yes, I think it's it's important this distinction between the institutional trust and the everyday life trust uh, from people each other in the neighbourhoods or in the social contact. Um, the institutional, I think, we talk about it, and it have to do with this overlap, the uh, overlapping situation with the social movements. For example, the, the first lockdown was interpreted as a measure of social control because of the social riots, not as a health thing, you know, the, the first one in March. It was uh, conceived, not, not conceived, but uh, the, 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 how the people has interpreted it was as a social control measure. Now They don't want people in the streets. So we, uh, we implemented uh, uh, the, log- the first lockdown. Then I think it was uh, a little bit different because the pandemic situation was uh, uh, in all the steps, and, and we know a little bit more about it. And so the institutional trust is, I think, another thing uh, very clear in, uh, in Santiago because of this uh, social tension that we had from uh, 2019. And in terms of uh, a more local scale, or what I meant about scale and the the relations in neighborhoods, we also observed a lot of uh, increase of social relations in in general terms. For example, uh, we we, we saw a, a revival of, of a thing that we didn't saw since the 80s. Uh, I'm not sure about the translation, but I I think it it could be uh, the common pots or something like that. And maybe Mahu can help me. Ollas comunes, where people-
1: Soup kitchens.
0: Okay, sorry. Sorry about my translation. I'm but this, this kind of things uh, were were very common in the eighties uh, to deal with poverty and, and, and things like that, and we didn't see uh, some kind that, that kind of organization. But now, uh, or not now, but in, in in the first year of the pandemic uh, context, it was very common to see that in the neighborhoods. So. Uh, this kind of things and also the the care networks between uh, neighbors and uh, people in the local scale of the city was also uh, a very new thing because in Santero um, the last years, I think it was a very individual city in terms of this kind of uh, organization, social organizations, local organizations. We don't have a lot of this kind of, of relations in the city. Uh, but with the pandemic, uh, I think it increased a lot. And also because the, the, the policies and the lockdown in specific was a very urban problem you know, also. Uh, uh, for example, because um, uh, the, the housing conditions of the population in Santel. Santel is a very segregated city. So it's not the same thing to deal with a uh, lockdown in the upper middle classes uh, uh, districts than in the poor areas of the city and to deal with, um, I don't know, um, 15 square meters house uh, where, they, where uh, they leave a, a whole family uh, the whole day in this um, lockdown situation. So. I think it was um, a double sense of the of social relations. On the one hand, we observed an increase of relations, social class, organizations, this kind of of collaboration uh, in the neighborhoods. But on the other hand, it was also an issue of tension because of this conviviality in a reduced space uh, of housing and also of uh, violent neighbourhoods and things like that in a segregated in a very segregated city. So I think it has two, two ways, uh, these new patterns of of social contacts, or social conviviality uh, uh, in this period of time. It's,
2: it's isn't it very interesting that you bring up that point of soup kitchen being back during the pandemic, which is the opposite of of the Berlin situation where such things were closed down, I'm, and I'm going to to maybe go back to Hannah for a minute, and and I don't know if Hannah, if you if you, I seem to recall a story about the and, and, and food activity for youth that was closed down at a at a youth center in the research project. Maybe you can maybe you can talk yeah. a little bit about that because, because I think that is exactly the opposite. It's maybe not exactly the opposite, but it is a bit of the opposite movement of or, or, or social development of what some of Philippe was was describing. And maybe you can link that to explore a little bit about your own work, which is a lot on on in your comparative work between abidjan and berlin which we can't talk about today extensively but at least i know from your work that you've been very involved in discussions about household and 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 community in terms of household and networks and and that debate what the collective is and what care is and what household is could you could you try and link these things somehow yeah, I I, I uh, I'm really glad
3: that you bring up this um, this vignette from the empirical fieldwork we did um, uh, together with Nina, um, because I remember as well the situation where we were sitting with uh, social workers and professionals, and they were um, they were telling about their situation um, with their how they can still provide for their for their clients for their youth, and and they said that one aspect that doesn't come up in the media and in the public discussion is that if we close down um, the activities that maybe, I don't know, young people can come by accidentally or that they can, I don't know, just come to the youth club um, without any pre-registration and all this like then they don't get only um, access to the to the official program, but all, also all kinds of side um, resources. I think that is what you meant, uh, Taya. Maybe you can also correct me. But I think what is important to to think of is that um, that um, institutions are. Um, or um, localities Fuki of interactions, like where activities take place, they they bring resources to others that are not intended, but that maybe you can get a free meal or something. And then when all these activities uh, close down, um, these uh, families that um, maybe have uh, really limited resources cannot use these all these um, maybe public or semi-public spaces in the city to provide for themselves. And I think that brings me, or that can be the link also to the question, um, what are the sites that we need to look at if we, if we think about care and provision and livelihood in the city and also um, where the limits of the household are. If you think of household as householding, as providing for 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 um, dependent children and uh, relatives, and it's maybe not only the place of residence, um, but also all kinds of other um, networks and sites where people make a living in the city and and care for for each uh, each uh, for themselves and others. and and in that sense, this is what I said before about this um, limit limitations in the in the um, like the policies, they didn't acknowledge this complexity of urban life, but instead, kind of, um, I mean, they they uh, called for for people to stay at home and to and and with this call, they kind of reinforced um, a standard and uh, and in that sense, a category of control they, that is the heteronormative um, idea of the. Small family living in one place um, and, and in a fixed unit of residence, and and I think that is a that is a problem um, we need to address in order to understand also how um, cities work and how inequalities um, get reproduced. Um, and um, and I think during Corona, um, during the COVID policies, or the COVID pol- policies have made this, like, like brought this um, to the fore. Or no, ca- how can I say this? Like they made this more clear, even because their their answer to the to the pandemic was not to to um, was to actually reinforce these ideas about. Um, city life as, as, uh, as maybe lived by a minor- minority of people who have their own, I don't know, property with a huge garden uh, and can live um, like inward orientated um, only on, on by themselves. But that's like a minor- minority and the majority needs all these um, in between spaces of the city. And in my research in um, Abidjan or in comparison or where I did comparative work of the um, making of livelihood um, in Abidjan and in Berlin, um, I kind of uh, I make this argument that we need to to think of of the way um, people make their living in cities. I mean that's not a new argument but I think it's new in the way um, we need to think about this also in contexts like Berlin and I think the pandemic made this even more clear. That we, in order to understand what are the effects of such policies, we need to to think of economic, of household and provision and economic lives in a different way.
2: Yeah, and I'm already seeing that we need like five hours of podcast time because I'm I'm having new questions coming up all the time because now I'm reminded of, of someone something that that Felipe that you've been telling me about uh, in at some other moment where we um, we were talking about COVID where we were right in the middle of it. And I think you were explaining how some of the controls took place in, in the major areas like the, the middle class central, not major, but the central areas of the city. And in some neighborhoods, the control wasn't so harsh because there was no way of doing it because the amount of people living on informality was so huge that you couldn't f- force them. Am I correct?
0: Yes, it was a, a very um, what's very different in these uh, different parts of the city. Yeah. Uh, the the idea was to deal with the whole population in the same terms, but in, in everyday lives is what it was impossible. You know. Uh, and and so- but uh, the, I think. The, the our government insist or, or has insisted in this uh, individual responsibility that I mentioned and also in the in this obstination of the population no? mm-hmm. that was not a good a good uh, uh, form of, of deal with it because all of the people understood that uh, some uh, some uh, people have to or need to, to go out to work or to have to go out to the, into public spaces to, to have a, a little uh, time of rest uh, in terms of, of these uh, housing conditions. So it was impossible to, to have the same restrictions, maybe, for the whole city, considering these uh, special differences or, or housing differences or socioeconomic differences. Also, um, the, for example, the technologies or the access to internet uh, or the, the possibility to work at home, you know, that is very different uh, in Santiago. It's, it's very limited to, to a, a part of the city and part of the of the population. Uh, so uh, it, we we also observed um, finally the that the people. Didn't um, didn't accomplish this this um, uh, measures. No, it was impossible. Not not because they didn't want it, because they, they can't uh, stay at home or they can't stop working because they have to to get money for their families. So uh, and we we saw that, and I think. Um, the, the government never never understood the thing in a good way in terms of um, designed all the kinds of, of policies or to make this different, uh, to differentiate it uh, in terms of different communi- uh, communities or municipalities or local governments or things like that.
2: Um, it seems that the, um, uh, the, the massiveness of not being able to do that, that I think, Marjo, you've also described for, for um Bogota, the, that massive skill Berlin did not have the the so the the how people that worked informally or people without pap- paperwork as people sans papier so how people that don't have legal status in the city and were completely dependent on this informal ways of and I know we have to think about the use of the word informal and what informality is and there is a lot of informal in the formal and this would be a podcast in itself so let's just sort of pragmatically skip over this discussion for now but that that seems to um to be something that that is there's a lot to explore of what happened to to work that was not done according to visible formal labor positions in 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 the city of berlin and and it could well be that the absence of the total absence of facilities like soup kitchen and and things like that during the pandemic has actually affected people on a on a individual level much more harshly than than we know so far. Nina, I wanted to turn to you and ask you to to maybe reflect on on what we've had sort of we had a few questions and we've derivated from those questions. But but because we very much talked about the first period of the pandemic, and would you say that the atmosphere or as the sociology of the emotions is your specialty that that the emotions around the pandemic or the sort of public observations of what 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 this solidarity of taking care of yourself so you can take care of others taking staying at home is a form of care and not shaking hands not hugging not that that was very much the first phase and and I think there was a sense of Maybe that there was that trap of solidarity, how has that developed over over the time and do you and what is that now if you look at that today
4: um, well um I think there was um Maybe we can take this uh, back to the question also of trust we were earlier talking on. And, and um, because so far we were mainly talking about this interpersonal uh, trust, like um, not trusting maybe people at the beginning because we did not know in the city whether they were um, had COVID or not. So we were not getting close to these people. Or um, I remember there was a situation in the park where a child fell from a bicycle and nobody helped because we, the people around didn't know whether the child maybe had COVID or not. So something uh, before was no problem. Everybody would like go there and help, nobody did. So this mistrust in the beginning in the city um, towards strangers, this was I think very much felt. Um and I think but this had changed over the, the, the time because COVID is now so long with us, and and um um so but this is something I would say we could observe in the beginning when we talk about this interpersonal trust. Um and then we had um we mentioned also in the institutional trust, and um I think what's also interesting there is that um it's not only about people trusting the institutions or not trusting them, but also how the uh, people that work for these institutions um, were creating trust or trust relations to people in the city before, and how, um, and there we come back to the emotions, um, how they were trying to do this during the pandemic, because building trust depends a lot on uh, emotion work, like um, like comforting people when they're in situations of worries or, um, um, or sadness, but also encouraging people um, and giving them hope. Um, and um, this is something we also saw, saw in our project. This is that this was very difficult during the the lockdown or the pandemic because of all, all these social distancing, but also the mistrust, like who is maybe carrying co- uh, COVID and who is not, and how to behave, and 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 so. Um what we learned during this research project was um, that um, social workers, like, really had a challenge of how to, to do their work in to- terms of comforting people, encouraging people when they were sitting in the room with them, but in two meters away, they couldn't get close to them and hug them. They had to wear the mask where, we didn't, where they didn't really see whether the people were smiling or not. Um, So this really uh, posed a challenge um, to them. And also um, when um, their work shifted from the physical space in the city to the digital space, we haven't talked so much now, but when all the work they were doing was on Zoom, like we're doing now, how can you do like social work and emotion work when you maybe have a black screen in front of you or where you you cannot look people in the eyes and they know that they're addressed when when we talk to you. So um, all these different ways of of dealing with people and working with people, impacted a lot how the emotions in the city in general developed and also how trust was
0: affected um, throughout the lockdowns and the pandemic. My Marjo, I
2: thought I saw you move in. Yeah, I was Zoom. I was
1: just thinking about what Dina was saying and and I don't have numbers, just impressions about this, but the number of people begging in the streets has increased enormously in in Bogotá in the last two, three years. Um, You see a lot of children and a lot of adults begging. Many are from Venezuela. And and many people are living in the streets. Uh, So... The, the level of indifference, I, I think the social level of indifference um, has increased in, in, in many ways because people, because of fear, you you could also see a lot in in, in these cities, in third world cities, you, you get indifferent to that with time and you close your window in your car or you just say, I'm sorry, I don't have today because you cannot be giving away 10 times in the same walk, which is what, what people, I mean, you, you find people and that has increased. And the, that fact with school lockdowns for more than school closed for, for a year and a half. Uh, so I was just thinking about a personal experience with there's, there's in, in my own neighborhood, there's a mom with two kids that come from Buenaventura Um, uh, a a very poor city in the Pacific coast and over this year and a half uh, they've been begging in my neighborhood every day and when like two years ago one year and a half ago one day I found them in the park and I invited the kids to play soccer with my kid Um, over the passing of this last year these kids uh, are very different now. I mean, they haven't been in school. They don't probably don't have a house. They are begging. You can see their eyes are different in, than mm-hmm. they were a year and a half ago. And that's terrible because you, if you lock schools down for a year and a half, what's the level of inequality? I mean, they they have to beg. They have to be in the street. They have to be with their mom. The mom has to beg. Um, I mean, the, the level of, 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 I don't know, of, of, uh, Of disadvantage of these families just increases and increases with the pandemic and in the on the other hand people are becoming more indifferent to to their suffering
2: yeah thank you for sharing that that uh, major um um when we were talking about the story about the institution that Hannah was saying that was providing the youth workers facilities, I think one of the other things that youth workers were saying was that, um, some of the kids that came there to a special cooking class, they had a class how to cook and the youth came here to cook, but they didn't really come there to cook. They came there to eat. So with the closure of the class, the big question was what happened to these kids and, and, uh, and where do they eat now? Which doesn't have that kind of scale that you're describing, but I think in the in the intensity of the in, the unequal experience of the pandemic is 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 massive. The the, the and and, um, and is in sharp contrast to this idea of individual responsibility. And everybody as an individual is involved in this pandemic, and we all we're all exposed to the same kind of conditions and dangers, and, and I think we've been spending the last two years talking about uh, how this is not true. Um, but the consequences, the long-term consequences of that this is not true statement of the of the observation that the impact of the COVID measurements has tremendously different impact. This is not a very good sentence. So, in the, in the last two years, we have been talking about this and we have been saying this will increase inequalities. And I think now we're at the point that you see the consequences of that statement, that that what we knew from the very beginning when they closed the schools, how this was going to have an unequal impact on kids in cities and on families in cities. I think we now see the consequences of that. Hannah, do you want to kill on this? Just wanted to to add um, one personal thought
3: that is like not based on any research, but I have the impression that from from the position that I'm living in Berlin, um, this what what you um, all just described, is even um, I think more um, or sharpening and more problematic or dangerous as on the other side um, I observe. Um, Colleagues, friends, etc., people in my in my bubble, so to say, like um, uh, getting comfortable with the situation, and um, by often of like living quite um, um, separate from any public sphere or any any encounters uh, with different people. So it's like you can live at home in front of your computer. And you you don't need to engage as much as as you needed before, and I think for some of of um, of the urban residents it's quite comfortable, um, and that that I think brings to the table the question: How can we create the conviviality that you spoke about, Felipe, or the the form of publicness that you also. Um, um, write about often, uh, Talia, How can we like? What is what? What could should we do in order to to recreate a public life in in the city? At least in Berlin, I have the impression from from that's not based on any research, but it, I think it's a it's an important point to add. How in the long long time of our of the COVID situation that's now two years, you can like it's a new routine of of like. You don't need to go out. I you can just you share your your insights with your best friends but you are not um, in a in a form of collective conviviality that is necessary to be even aware of of the differences in the city of the
2: unequalness of cities. It's a personal thought that I had I guess it's it's not just a personal thought, right? I think we we we've all done types of research that show that there is a there's a retreat of middle classes and inward oriented of certain parts of the population that is a form of privatization that that COVID has fostered, that COVID has or the COVID regulations have made more possible to do. And now we don't need to have gated communities in terms of like we used to conceptualize them because they've taken on new forms with people. Living their lives from from a digital perspective, and um, and I wonder at the moment that we speak, and maybe maybe this is not good to bring it up because it will expand. And I think we have to. You can while I talk, you can think about the last thing you want to say, maybe on this question of what 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 could we imagine that needs to be done with the public, um, to to change that. But it's the moment that we're speaking is actually the third day now, of um. I think it's the third day of trains of the Deutsche Bahn, arriving at our central station here in Berlin with refugees from the Ukraine. So there's, uh, and because it's so quickly, there is no way of organizing this in a sort of bureaucratic German regulated way. So what people have been asked to do is come with a sign that says how many places they have for people to sleep and come to the station and show the sign. and, And then there's, volunteers that try to locate oh she can have three people he has a woman with two kids and kind of match the people um and it's interesting that I saw a picture of these signs and a lot of these signs say two places or three places for two weeks for two weeks and this is the minimum they said you can come and host people for at least two weeks but I'm very very wondering about this outpour of sudden moment of Empathy and solidarity that hasn't the the date that's stamped on it says it's two weeks. So 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 I wonder um, whether in my positive moments I think this is the this is the outburst of solidarity that COVID has prevented us from sharing, and at my more dark moments I think this is the feel good motive of of you know sheltering someone for two weeks but after two weeks we'll see how that so i think that that is related to to the to the very basic question of what is what is the public what is the what is the what is the togetherness or what is the cohesion what is the urban fabric is that neighborhoods where people have care blocks and is that the right way to go should we should we try to think of care and care arrangement on that very, very small level or are the questions that Philippa has also brought up and Hannah as well? And I, I'm sure Maggio has thought about this too of scale. And, and can we do these things on the neighborhood level? Or is that the forms of segregation and inequality in resources? Are we reinforcing these when we stick to the neighborhood level? And if it's not going to be the neighborhood level, are we going to be back with Simo? and say, well, it's the only thing that's possible because everything else is so immense and so big and so large that we have to develop an attitude of blasé and and care is not possible. Your last statements on this, please. Philippe, you have your mic off so you can go first. I mean, you have your mic on, Sorry.
0: Yes, Uh, no, I I think that uh, inequalities is the big issue, I think, that, is, uh, uh, that we have to deal with uh, in, in all the crises. You know, I also think uh, which will be the next crisis in the next months because in Santero we, we have to deal with three or no, in, the, in the last uh, semesters uh, in the university time. So which will be the next one that we have to deal with? And inequality uh, appears as the common base of these different um, uh, crises that we have to to confront. So na- uh, the last years was co- COVID and and this segregation. And I... I, I, I I think it's very interesting the both sides that Marco and Hanna put there in the conversation. On on the one hand, a lot of of people in the streets. uh, In Santiago, is the same thing because of the migration, but also because of the uh, economic crisis that uh, was also uh, here with the COVID. Uh, But on the other hand, this um, Middle class or professionals that are very, uh, uh, very satisfied with this new everyday life. You know, they they stay at home. They can work. They have uh, digital uh, connectivity. They can ask for delivery and uh, all his needs. They can cover it uh, with the with a computer. So I think this uh, difference between this both sides of the. Social structure to say something like that, it's uh, increasing and it's uh, a bad thing in terms of inequality. And you can see that in the streets, you know in the everyday life in the city, you can see that a lot of uh, delivery guys in, in s- motorcycles, uh, less people in the street, less difference in the streets, less old people in the streets, less uh, childrens in the streets. So. The, the landscape, uh, at least in some places of uh, the city center or in public spaces, I think is is changing, uh, and the future of that I'm not sure how it will it will uh, uh, how it will be at the end. But I think there are some things that are uh, more stable. You know, this this new difference between uh, people uh, at working at home and people uh, living in the streets in these two uh, points of the range, I think it's is more stable than we want to. Um, and also uh, I think uh, about target uh, sets in terms of this solidarity, the, this temporal, temporary uh, solidarity, uh, I have the, the the memory about our natural disasters. Uh, we, we also, we have a lot of, for example, earthquakes. You know? <laughs> the last one was in 2010. And after the earthquakes of 2010, uh, it was an explosion of solidarity. You know? so, but it was not a long-term one. So two years after that, we uh, we came back to the uh, normal times. No, I think with this crisis maybe it's the same thing. Um, I don't know, but but it's difficult to 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 imagine a new uh, community and a new uh, form, a stable form of uh, solidarity. I'm I'm not uh, sure about that. I think uh, there are a lot of uh, good initiatives uh, in the last years, but I think they are not. Uh, a uh, 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 motive, yeah, a long term. I think two years,
2: solid- two years of solidarity with with the people that are arriving at the real station should really be enough. I, two weeks seems a bit on the short side, really. um, but who knows? Majo? Um
1: I was thinking about the two weeks of solidarity and uh, they are still personal ways of, of dealing with, with it, which which um, ties with what Hannah was saying about the individualized way that the care took place in Berlin. Uh, I don't know, I think the state has a huge role there. Uh, of course, the people have to contribute to that, but, but solid, the state, has to engage with the solidarity is the the main responsible of the solidarity. And uh, at the beginning of the pandemic, we did another podcast about policies and I was very hopeful about recreating the social contract in Colombia. And for the first time, the idea of a basic income was coming through many political parties were saying that they were indeed uh, a lot of cash transfers, a lot of money going to cash transfers because the state realized these people were not going to have any income security or food security. But then my initial hope faded because I don't see great changes in, uh, in, in terms of state welfare in, 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 in these poor countries or middle-income countries. Um, I don't see a change towards basic services. Uh, of course, there's a lot of innovation and I don't wanna erase them with this uh, overall narrative, pessimistic narrative. We have to pay attention to those initiatives, but I don't see a new social contract coming
0: through. That's, that's, uh, maybe that's where we should
2: stop. We don't see a new social contract come through yet. Um, And Nina, Hannah, brief last words, last thoughts?
4: Um, Yeah, maybe I can just quickly say because your question was also about whether we should um, forget the neighborhood level at all and not pay attention anymore to this or just look at the global transnational uh, things that are going on and I think we should not Uh, or we should stay also or not forget the neighborhood level because I think this is where people um, still have the feeling that they can still change something even if the state for instance is not um, dealing with the solidarity or the social contract as we hope for Uh, but this is where um, we can do like small practices, small things even when they're like um, in gray areas and bypassing the rules Uh, but this is where like care um or solidarity is still practiced and I think this is what we still we
0: shouldn't forget about this. Hannah you brought up the must
2: yeah I, I just so you're you you can now wrap no, it all up and
0: no
3: I, I think I'm I'm a bit um I'm I'm not feeling so comfortable with um with with this either or, or with this question if we if you should forget the neighborhood. I think what we should do is to look at forms of collective life. I think that is, uh, that is an expression that I, I think borrow from Malik Simon. But I think we should see where it happens. And, and that's also referring to your project, Talia, that you are doing um, um, with the FFB. About um, what is the neighbourhood actually? I think that's that. I mean, we cannot say we should look at the neighbourhood or at the individual because what is the neighbourhood after all? So we should look at the ways in which people create forms of collective life, and that could be uh, transnational. So maybe we should think of all um, of all the. Um, I think we in the during the field where we or you, Talia, I don't know, talked about people who are actually. Uh, Um, traveling between Lebanon and and Berlin and bring medication and that was blocked during uh, during the corona times or during the COVID policies because um, yeah the borders were closed so in in that sense we need to look at how people live and organize care and organize their livelihoods and that could be at different levels and I think in terms of the and I think for us as sociologists or social re- or as urban researchers, it should it should it it could be it could mean that we that we um, I don't know take um, that we we should be aware of not falling into the trap of looking at individuals, but you know looking at how they are all we are all dependent on each other, and even if someone tells you. I lived at home all the time during corona there there must be some some forms of i don't know some forms of uh, interaction and yeah. that, that is something that we I think should be
2: aware of when we when we want to understand how society works yeah, thank you Hannah. I think that's that's very well put and I also think that that there wasn't so much it was a provocation to say should we forget about the neighborhood level because it uh, The way it can impose, it can stimulate, it can enforce forms of inequalities, because people live depending on where they are in the city. Now segregation automatically means that if you do everything on the neighborhood level, that there are certain resources that never leave that neighborhood. but that doesn't mean that, that I think that's exactly the thing. You have to look where is collective life really practiced and, and how can we build on that? And if that collective life means that my softball team partner rents a car to drive to Ukraine because he's from there and we all organize goods for him to take there, then that is a transnational form and an and, and a society-based uh, so softball club based form that has no neighborhood connection that would never work if he was going to do that in the neighborhood with the same level of speed and intensity that it did because we are the team right so that i'm sure he got very many other people involved in it and not just the team but but the fact that the team was a team and the team has a whatsapp group that produces this exchange of i'm donating this i'm donating this in in a matter of minutes and i think that that was in my neighborhood, that would never happen because there isn't a type of so so so. I think that's a very important point. to Always think about about this the block of care and then and then but but to ref, to to refuse to buy into the idea that this block has also has to be a block that I can actually walk. Whereas in other contexts, I think that you were describing Mario. It's a precondition that it's a block that you can walk because the care situations in which you're in mean that you can't be further connected than in the local space that you have where you have to be with your child or you have to be with other people that you're caring for. Um this is very interesting. Um thank you very much. I think I the podcast hosts whatever <laughs> mediators can't say that the conversation was interesting. So but I'm hoping that the audience of of the podcast is also Going to find this as interesting as I found it. Um, Thank you very much for this input today, and um, we hope to have you back on another occasion soon.
0: Thanks you for listening. For more information, visit our website. UrbanPolitical.PolyG.IO
4: Please subscribe and follow us
1: on Twitter.